Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. The house, yeah. I'm Kaveh. I am the host of this humor adjacent medical podcast. I think you could describe us as a medical podcast or a science podcast for people who don't typically listen to those types of podcasts, but I don't know. Maybe that's not right. You guys tell me. Joining me today is one of my closest friends, guy I went through internship with bandmate. He is a radiologist, life partner, Wei Lu, Dr. Wei Lu. Thank you so much for joining us today as my co-host. Um, it's really good to see you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love it when you're here. I mean, I actually, I mean that. Uh, I have a genuine affection for you. Um, you want to know something I don't have a genuine affection for? What's, what's that? The electric car company that... I have a car and I have an electric car. I won't say the name of it. Um, suffice to say, it's a company that's famously named after an American hair band from Sacramento or a Serbian-American inventor, depending on which of those things is more important to you. Um, and I've had a recent issue with my car recently. Um, and let me tell you about this. So I was driving to work. I got a flat tire and my car is on the side of the road. I was able to pull off onto an off-ramp. Everything's fine. And uh, I have to get to work because I have lots of patients to see. So, you know, I take an Uber to work. I leave my car there because one good thing about this car I have is that they'll send a mobile unit to go like change your tire. So a mobile like car changing or tire changing unit comes up and fixes the tire while I'm gone, while I'm at work. And they rotate a tire or two because like some of the other tires are worn kind of thin. And I'm like, grateful, great, awesome. I get back into my car. And for the first time, it's never happened before, like the acceleration doesn't work. It's like, like the brakes are automatically like pumping for no reason. Like the speed won't go over 30. Everything's wacky in the car. It's like crazy. I'm like, what is going on? So I pull over. I'm on the phone with the, the car company, like going through like three different people. No one knows what's going on. Finally, some guys doing like internal diagnostics, you know, remotely. And he's like, ah, yeah, so it looks like it's your drive inverter. And I'm like, you're just fucking making up names now. This <laughs> <laughs> just, just bullshit. The drive, just, the drive you just inverter. just str- strung like two, two words together from <laughs> yeah. like a list of r- random word generators that right. sound technical. Right. Your flux capacitor is off. <laughs> yes. And so, um, yeah. So anyways, uh, the, the, it has, the car has to be towed and it's a whole drag and I have to get a ride back home it's a whole thing but they're fixing the car now 
And this is something that just kind of annoys me. And, and I think kind of ties into some medical stuff I was thinking about too. So the, the, the car company I'm talking to them on the phone, I'm like, Hey, so why did this happen? They're like, Oh, this just happens. I'm like, but isn't it a coincidence that it happened right after like my car was fine, never had a problem before get the tires changed. And now there's this problem that's pretty drastic and pretty severe. And they're like, Oh, that could totally, that's just totally random. I'm like, mm. <laughs> It you know, doesn't it's like seem a random guy getting punched in the face and like having a bloody nose. You're like, oh, that's weird. Bloody <laughs> nose just just happened. Happens to people all of a sudden that's once exactly, in a while. You know, it has nothing that, to do with what I did. That's exactly it. I kept and there's like three different people. They're like, no, 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 it's not related at all. I just don't think it is. I just can't. I don't see how it could be. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense, guys. I'm like. You know, okay, so I'm a I'm a gastroenterologist. And if I did a colonoscopy on somebody and I took out a polyp, um, a known complication is that there can be some bleeding afterwards, you know? And so if the bleeding happens like right afterwards and the person calls me, I'm not gonna be like, no, 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 just I don't think it's related. I mean, yes, it's possible the bleeding could be unrelated, but it's also very likely that's related to the, the polypectomy. And I'm just thinking they seem so like worried. That like, I was like, guys, I'm not going to sue you or anything. I don't care. I mean, like, I, but you know, let's, let's be honest about what's happening here. But it reminds me of like doctors who, who won't accept complications. I mean, it's a known problem. You know, we do procedures. Sometimes there can be complications. We know about it. We talk about it with patients beforehand. I mean, it, it, and, and at the end of the day, it annoys me that nobody there is like saying it could be like, they're all trying to gaslight me. I'm like, you guys, it has to be somehow related. I don't, I'm not mad about it. I'm mostly just curious, but it has to be related. Stop pretending it's not. And doctors have to do the same thing. Doctors, if we, if there's a complication, even if things go perfectly, it can happen. You know, we have to be like, I'm really sorry this happened. Let's see how we can fix this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think like, uh, uh, <laughs> like people are so worried about getting blamed for stuff, but the problem is like at the end of the day, like, if you identify, if you if you're able to accept accept responsibility, you get to the solution a lot, lot faster. Like, right. you know, if the person had like, you know, in your situation, if they, if 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 you're like, okay, well, I just did this GI procedure, and we if there's bleeding, then you can look at the the report, right, of, and then figure out at, at what at which point in the in the intestinal tract did you find the polyp, versus like what we'll see sometimes is like, okay, well there's bleeding and we never hear about this procedure and they're like, okay, look for malignancy. And so we're just searching everywhere for malignancy in the GI tract. And like, yeah, yeah. Right. You save the patient a lot of time. You save them the risk of unnecessary procedures that you might put them through. And you know what? I mean, the thing is, you know, having, we're lucky, you know, we're, we're very skilled at what we do. So our rates of complications are very low, but every doctor is going to have them at some point. And the truth of it is most patients understand that. And we go over it with them, of course, before we do things, but patients understand that no matter the very best intentions and the best care, sometimes bad things can happen. They, they get that. What I find really bothers them is if they feel like it's being covered up in any way, or people just aren't accepting that, you know what I mean? Right. And like the d delay in treatment, I mean, that's like one of the number one um, reasons yeah. patients file complaints. It's not yeah. like, okay, well, okay. You know, a positive response was like, okay, I had a, I had a complication and then uh, they quickly resolved it. We rarely ever get complaints when that happens. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. So I'll, I'll let you know how this goes. You might be giving me a ride to work for the next couple of days. <laughs> um, how, how are you doing otherwise? Uh, I'm good. Um, you know, uh, speaking of like things malfunctioning, I, I was, uh, the other day, I was we, my wife and I were watching um, what is that that uh, that uh, TV series? I think it came out in two thousand eighteen or something. Uh, the uh, Haunting of Hill House or something. Yeah, something yeah, like Netflix. That. The Haunting of Hill yeah. House. Yeah, so um, it was really this, great series. Really, yeah. Enjoyed it. I think yes. I told you to watch it. Yes, you did. Okay, yeah. and um, and I, and that's why you were wholly responsible for this story. <laughs> uh oh, so so. The yeah, so there was a one particular episode where one of the characters starts having like these weird sort of kind of outer body experiences or like sleep paralysis, and so that's so we Wait, watched real, that real quick. 
can you explain what sleep paralysis is to someone who may not know what it is? Um, yeah, actually, I don't really quite know. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I have some experience in medicine hearing about it, but I don't really know exactly what it is. But um, I actually learned more about it through the episode. Uh, what it seems <laughs> like is, what seems like happen, is happening is um, a person wakes up, um, their mind is working. Uh, like they're able to sort of they're they're aware, but their body has not yet um, fully awakened, and so they're sort of paralyzed, not able to move any part of their body. But they're able to sort of see things and 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 be aware of what's going around, yeah, uh, on around them. It's gonna be really scary. Yes, yeah. um, and so I, after watching that, I. Uh, like sometime around four or 5 a.m. in the morning, I, I wake up and like the room is spinning and I can't, and, and, and I'm feeling super nauseous and, and then I can't even stand up straight. And like the first thing I thought to myself was like, you know, maybe I'm having some, either some sort of nightmare or like some kind of some somatic event where I internalized this episode and now my mm -hmm. body is like reacting in this way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and then the next thought you know of course was oh I'm, am i having a stroke and so i i sort of went through like this diagnostic neuro exam uh looking at myself in front of the mirror making sure my face looks symmetric yeah. <laughs> yeah oh man that's like, scary dude uh yeah i mean it it gradually went away and i was fine and and I, at the end of the day i'm pretty sure it was just um uh, some sort of weird migraine uh, yeah. since I, I do get them occasionally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that was just kind of a, that's scary, man. How come like that never happens with in a good way? Like you never like wake up believing you have the force after watching like, <laughs> yeah, star Wars or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. It's just, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If, if, if somehow if I woke up and I was like floating, I would be like, Hmm, that's, that's pretty awesome. Do you but, know what I, I have heard? I've heard people who have sleep paralysis will have, sometimes have visual hallucinations which oh, I think yeah, would that, be that is terrifying. super terrifying. Like, if yeah. Saw, yeah, if you're a sleep paralysis expert, please let us know uh, and we'll get you on the show. Uh, okay. All right, let's go ahead and get to our, our guests. We have a really great uh, writer and podcaster by the name of Rax King coming on. I'm really excited. Uh, you had a chance to read her book, Tacky, right? Yes, yeah, it was it was great. Um, one of the problems I have is like, I, I haven't read a regular book in a very long time. Cause we're, I mean, we're constantly inundated with textbooks and reference books. Yeah. And so I found myself having to like look up words in a dictionary again, going back. To <laughs> it was good to read something long form that is not at all about medicine or directly at least, but stay tuned. We'll talk about the book and how it ties in to medicine as well. Uh, it's a book about pop culture and things that other people may find quote unquote tacky. We'll get into it in just a moment. Stay tuned. Thank you to Nadim for help with production and follow us if you don't already at the House of Pod on Twitter. Rate and review us at iTunes as well. Do it. Welcome back. Today we have with us writer, podcaster, Rax King. Rax, Rax, I assume that's short for Raxine? It's short for nothing. <laughs> Just uh, Rax. There's only the one way to pronounce it, probably. I can't think of an alternative. Okay, this is totally an aside, and I'm already sidetracked completely. But one thing I, I really enjoy doing is, like, when someone has a, a pretty, like, standard American name, is pretending that it's a lot more complicated than it is. <laughs> like, like he did? He died? Heidi, Heidi. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> we have today, like I said, Rax King. Uh, she is a James Beard uh, Award nominee for her writing. Uh, she has a new book called Tacky, which I really love. And it is just this beautiful love letter, this ode, this celebration to pop culture, taste, nostalgia, and really 
it's about celebrating, I think, what you love, even if other people don't. It's like a defense of sincerity. It's about relationships, those unhealthy and uh, healthy. Thank you for having me. I love that I get to be on a podcast other than like literature or communism. Those are the two types of podcasts <laughs> where, I, where I end up. So this is, this is fun. This is a fun departure for me. Yeah, yeah. We don't talk a lot about communism. It's not that we're like, inherently against it i think we are but not that's not really why it's because we don't really understand it that's pretty much it so i really did enjoy this book a lot and and a big part of why i enjoyed it so much is that it really challenged me i mean your first chapter you go into a pretty vigorous and uh, convincing defense of the band creed now uh, way and i are both want to be musicians been playing in bands for a large portion of our lives We've had lots of discussions about bands like Creed and probably Creed directly. So it was really a, a challenge for me to accept that. And then after that, then you kind of kick it up a notch to defend uh, these reality TV shows that like, you know, I haven't paid a lot of attention to like um, uh, Jersey Shore is the name, right? Oh, hell yeah. It's yeah, yeah. the name of the show, the only the show. show that matters. <laughs> <laughs> so let me start by asking the basic question. Why did you decide to write this book in defense of these things? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't uh, set out to write it this way exactly. It's, uh, as you mentioned, an essay collection, and each essay is, is about a, a discrete element of pop culture. They're all about something different. And uh, as I was writing my little essays, I began to pick up on the fact that there was a through line, an obvious through line, and uh, that through line was pieces of pop culture that folks have made fun of me for liking that I, you know, <laughs> I like to go back on stuff. I really love to be a joiner and agree with people. So I would be like, yeah, Creed sucks. And then I said that for uh, like 15 years, I said Creed sucks. And then I revisited them kind of by accident. And I was like, no, Creed's, Creed's still kind of my thing. Like, I, not everyone has to like it. Not everyone has to like anything I like. But uh, I do think that the things I like deserve a little bit more of a defense than just, you know, it's so bad it's good, which is what you tend to hear mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. defenses of these things. Yeah, so I, uh, regarding Jersey Shores, uh, that story was, I mean, to me, it was very personal because um, my my father and I had have a sort of a bond with with the Beatles. Um, Wait, so hold on a second. Two things. One, I love that you call it Jersey Shores because even I know it's just one shore, Jersey Shore. Second, there's somebody screaming at their phone right now because you just compared the Beatles to Jersey Shore, which I, I, again is the whole point of this book, and I'm all I'm totally here for it. But I just want to make sure that we acknowledge that is happening right now. I'm well, gonna I, go I one better they're... and say Jersey Shore is better for me than the Beatles, and I, I you know. I'm not one of those hardline anti-Beatlesists that you always see on social media. <laughs> I find those people very annoying. But, you know, I, my point is more the Beatles never quite stuck for me the way that they stick for a lot of people and the way that they stick for you and your dad. And I think it's it's really all about finding the things that do stick. And, you know, if, if you're forming relationships around a piece of pop culture, it does become meaningful regardless of what it is. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that really touched me about the book was that relationship you had with your dad regarding watching Jersey Shore. I love that part of it. And we all find that in some way. For me and my dad, it was Westerns. Oh, and yeah. and I love that for for you and your dad. It makes a lot of sense. Have you had any other, I mean, have you, have any other shows um, come up similar to Jersey Shore's where you thought back and you said, oh, my dad would have, you know, we, we would have enjoyed this together. Ooh, you know, pretty much all of the uh, the the ancient crop of VH1 reality shows he and I really liked, uh, like Rock of Love, Flavor of Love, all, all oh, that yeah. good stuff was great for us to just tune out in front of the TV and like not have to talk about real things. And uh, so I feel that he might have developed a taste for the Real Housewives and uh, <laughs> other other Bravo franchises of that nature. I think that... <laughs> Well, it goes either way. I, maybe he wouldn't be so into just the lives of 
staggeringly wealthy people sniping at each other, but maybe he would have. Who knows? It is a wild card. I like it. Um, <laughs> let's take a step back. And I know you probably had to do this a ton of times since you've written this book, but uh, and you, you do address this in the book as well, but can you help us define tacky? Yeah, uh, I actually, in the course of doing promo and whatnot for this book, I, I do get asked this question and I feel like I've honed down a pretty narrow definition, which is uh, tacky is anything that a person thinks doesn't quite fit in a way that they dislike or disagree with. And I think that the the not quite fitting is actually more important than people tend to believe. Because when you really think about it, I can't say what the word tacky actually means. Like, I kind of don't know. But you know it when you see it. You know that, you know, the example that I always come back to is uh, Donald Trump, who gets his steak well done with a side of ketchup. Like people think that's tacky mm -hmm. and they think it's tacky because here's this guy who's, you know, richer than God mm -hmm. and has the taste of a six-year-old. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the inverse would probably be like for the longest time, really long fake nails were considered tacky. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was considered tacky when they were appearing on, frankly, black women who, you know, people look at these women and think like you shouldn't be spending your money on long fake nails mm -hmm. but now they're in fashion and it's always you know the tackiness lives in the contrast and the judgment it's not just about the contrast and it's not just about thinking something's bad because there's any number of reasons to think things are bad it's it's a judgment call that i kind of think people shouldn't feel qualified to make in general mm. it's funny that the steak example i have heard that one before and i was just like this is like the least offensive thing about him like kind there's, of doesn't matter let the guy yeah. eat his steak yeah i mean there's i have a lot of other issues with the guy the the way he eats his steak or the way people pronounce omicron versus omicron are the least of my worries it's like these little little dumb things that happen in the settings of of bigger things um i don't entirely know when it happened but at some point snark and irony became pretty mainstream have they made us toxic uh i don't think that snark and irony are inherently toxic but i do you know the term you always see is irony poisoned and i do believe for sure in the the corrosive effects that an irony heavy diet can have on a person i mean like, <laughs> I, I think that i i keep seeing uh like literary critic types talking about the role that irony played in the literature of the 90s and how it was like this way overused literary device by that time. It had kind of emerged in reaction to, I mean, the great boomer novelists who are all about, you know, optimism and prosperity. And uh, then, you know, the writer David Foster Wallace pointed out that once you've had too much irony, it stops having the effect of helping you cope. It doesn't help you as a system for understanding the world anymore once you rely on it too much. It just becomes corrosive and unpleasant. And, you know, as cope, it stops working after a while. The, you know, your coping mechanisms all have uh, these moments of diminishing returns. Yeah. What'd you say? They've been saturated. Like your like, yeah, like totally. nerve endings get saturated. That's what's happening. That's and it's really like at the point where you, you know, I, I hate that I keep talking about Twitter, but I do spend a lot of my day there. And, uh, you know, you, you see all these tweets where it's just this innocuous TikTok of a person dancing or whatever. And then, you know, a quote tweet that's essentially look at this asshole. And I'm just like, <laughs> what did that guy do? What did any of these people do? Like, you're not directing your irony appropriately if that's what you're doing with it. Right, right. It It is funny that people, and this is something I really enjoy when you cover is that people are always trying to look down at other people for, for any reason they can. I, I live in San Francisco and it's like, it's changed a little bit. It's become, you know, just because it's really so selective now for the people that can afford to live here. Like a bit of that fun hipster thing that was here is, is gone. Not all of it, but a little bit of it, but there was always this sort of like, I would try to convince people in San, in San Francisco that Sacramento was a cool place. And that's like almost impossible to do because people in San Francisco are like, ew, you're from somewhere else. Gross. 
And it's like, oh, you're from that neighborhood of San Francisco? Gross. Oh, you're from this part of this neighborhood? Gross. Oh, you're on that street in this neighborhood? Gross. It's just like every little like step along the way that they can find to sort of put themselves above someone else, people do. I mean, I don't know. Is that, you know, just, I was one of those people that you uh, you're trying to convince about Sacramento, and and I have to admit that I, I had sort of those thoughts, and but I, I was converted. So, I mean, I think one of the themes also that I see in your book is that um, you know a lot of these people who who make these sort of assumptions about places, like it's like, well, I haven't really been to Sacramento that much other than like, you know, old sack and like the touristy places, but like Kavi took me to like a whole bunch of, you know, really hit places and just places that, that are just chill. And it totally changed my, my mindset about how I viewed Sacramento. Yeah. I think there's an element of, uh, if your inclination is to look down on something, really all you need is a tour guide, like a trusted tour guide. I mean, whether that thing is an actual place where you can be a literal tour guide and, show someone else the things you love about that place or if it's like a stupid tv show that someone just needs an inroad to enjoy like uh, there's something like that for everything and i think that it does have the potential to become harmful i mean there are things that i personally believe people should not be enjoying like i will never watch one of the films of woody allen in, in that vein. And I don't appreciate people trying to proselytize to me about the, the virtues of Woody Allen as a filmmaker, Woody Allen as a, as a writer, like that, that stuff is immaterial to me and I don't appreciate the nudging. And I think that it just takes, you know, someone whose taste you mostly trust to show you what is great about something. That's a really interesting point too, because you talk about you know, uh, like guilty pleasures. And for the most part, you know, when people say they feel, I, oh, this is my guilty pleasure. And then someone else chimes in and says, you shouldn't feel guilty, et cetera, et cetera, which is probably right, but also is kind of annoying when they do that. But like, are there certain things like that we should feel guilty about? Like, for example, the Woody Allen thing, like where does that line, where does that line exist between a guilty pleasure that is harmless and something we should maybe feel guilt about? Does that, does that even exist? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about that a lot. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot because, you know, most of the things that I am writing these love letters to in my book, they're things that are popular and successful, things that really don't need all that much help from me, you know, in order to be loved by a shitload of people. And, and my angle is really more about just the, the pure taste of it, like what something feels like on that basic sense level when it's something that you really love. And, you know, incidentally, something that other people make fun of a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that... uh the guilt itself over pleasures like that, that's not a real helpful emotion. It just, you know, guilt is something that people tend to react against. If you feel guilty about something that you want to do, you look for reasons that it's okay to want to do it. And that's that's natural to me. I think it's normal. But uh, at the same time, I do think there are pieces of pop culture that have the potential to do real harm. And while I wouldn't say it's worthwhile feeling guilty about enjoying potentially harmful things. Mm -hmm. I still think it's worth the interrogation. It's worth the interrogation from both sides. Like if you really 
hate something that's super popular, it's worth interrogating why. If you really love something that disagrees with your values, it's worth interrogating why. And it's, mm -hmm. it's worth understanding these pieces of culture on their own terms and on your terms. Is there anything that at this point you still, for example, is there, is there something that you do still love that you're like, I should, no, I can't talk about this in the book. It's too <laughs> embarrassing. Is there, is there something like that for you? That's a really good question. Mm. Don't worry. Nobody listens to the show. You can say it. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about like, yeah. that. No, yeah. No one's, no one's paying attention. I don't think there is though. I just like, I, at this point, I've been the like dumb shit anthropologist for so long that I, I don't really feel that kind of shame anymore, I yeah. guess. I, yeah, yeah. If I ran into something that I really loved that was also repugnant to me on like a value level, then then I would probably feel embarrassed about it, regardless of whether I think that's a helpful way to feel, I would still feel embarrassed about it. But yeah, I, yeah. that hasn't happened in a minute. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Way? Uh yeah, it's probably, um, well, the most recent example is eating at Panda Express. Um, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a Chinese guy, I always get these looks like you eat there. But the, the funny thing is, I'll be, uh, you know, a lot of times like how, how it comes about, I mean, it reminds me of your chapter about the Cheesecake Factory. It's just, I, I, I'll, I'll tell, I'll, you know, at some point I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to go pick up lunch. Uh, and I and I and, and I want to be a good coworker, so I'm going to offer to pick up lunch, and then they'll say, "Oh, where are you going?" And then I have to say, "Well," and I have to think about it, like some <laughs> random Chinese place nearby. You like trying to think of the most and, authentic hardcore yeah, place, like, and it got so tedious because it was just like, "Okay, well, I need to just I just say, okay, I'm going to Panda Express," and like, and I can see the look on their face, and they have the same kind of like. Oh, should I should I should I take him up on that offer? And, and then they, they're like, oh yeah, I want the orange chicken. Yeah. Man, the stuff's great. That orange chicken really, is yeah. lit though. They have delicious yeah. orange chicken, Panda yeah, Express. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anyone order anything else from there. Yeah, it's, it's delicious. No, it is really good. My my friend uh, Jesse, who's a nephrologist, him and, and he's uh, he's Mexican and his favorite place to eat was Chipotle. And every time we went, they would just look at him. They'd be like side eye, like, really? You, <laughs> is that is that I bet you get that same look when you go to like uh, Panda Express? Um, so it, do you think like the is the part of the point of this to I, I'm assuming is to to help people not feel that sort of shame? It's really actually, I think, very kind of you. I like that a lot. Um, but you've also written about the shame that patients feel about uh, talking to their doctors about certain things. And uh, you wrote an article that um, that I, I talked to you about uh, earlier. What, I guess this is, a, this is a really big question. What kind of things are patients keeping from their doctors and what can Wei and I as doctors do to help people feel more comfortable sharing things with us? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... That is one thing that I do feel consistently uncomfortable with in, in terms of that shame we were talking about. I do have a hard time being truthful with most of my doctors and it's not really because of anything they've done. Like it really only takes one experience of having a doctor like give you a hard time about something instead of offering you treatment options. Like it really only takes one occasion of that to sour a lot of people on the doctor-patient relationship. And I mean, I think that uh, if I could zoom out for a second, like privatized medicine is a really big source of that distrust that patients have for their doctors. Like we know we're gonna have to pay a lot of money for basically any medical treatment. Even if we have insurance, stuff tends to cost a lot of money. And so, you know, it, it becomes very high stakes. You don't want to say anything to your doctor mm -hmm, that could mm -hmm. jeopardize you, you know, getting a, mm. a medication that you're convinced you need, a procedure mm -hmm. that you're pretty sure you need. And of mm -hmm. course, there is the argument that, you know, doctors have studied this stuff and we haven't. So it is, of course, plausible that doctors know better than we do what we need. But, you know, there are times when that's just not true and there are judgmental, difficult to deal with doctors out there. And uh, there are ways in which 
structurally, medicine is already so hard to access that, you know, we just inherently don't trust our doctors. It's kind of an adversarial relationship on that level. Mm-hmm. And uh, like an example that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, when I was trying to access psychiatric care uh, some months back. And they, you know, before a new psychiatrist will see you, oftentimes their practice will have this like questionnaire so they can determine ahead of time why you're seeking psychiatric care. And I quickly noticed that uh, if I checked off like suicidal ideation, depression, certain things, I would get an immediate message from the practice. Like, we don't do that. Go fuck yourself, essentially. Mm. And uh, that made it really scary to try and yeah, access this care that I really needed. Yeah, because yeah. it's just like, am I saying the wrong thing? What's the magic combination of words that I have to say to this overworked admin team in order to get the medical help I need? But that example of the the psychiatrist's like intake forms, that to me is kind of emblematic of the way like patients get sort of systemically dehumanized. Like probably the intent behind the forms is just to make sure like patients are coming in who are treatable to the doctors on staff who don't have like conditions that they've never seen before or whatever, something to that effect. But what happens is that like huge swaths of people end up getting denied care because they checked off like one iffy box on a form as opposed to having the opportunity to speak to someone and, you know, make, make a case and make their needs and, and problems clear. And I think that you see that in just about every field of medicine, every field that, you know, it's, it's a medicine I've needed. Yeah. And uh, it's demoralizing. I mean, especially with psychiatry, like who wants to spend weeks filling out elaborate forms and like paperwork that doesn't make sense to us when, we're trying to access medical care, often urgently. So it sounds like there's this the structural systemic sort of problem. And but then it sounds like on top of that, there is also like the interpersonal relationship with doctors. Um, has there been a story where a doctor has made you feel uncomfortable um, or made you feel shame about something that's affected the way you've then dealt with doctors in the future that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, uh, I had a... Um a gastroenterologist once, like exactly once. I went to My one f- appointment with him. Yeah. yeah. Not me. It was not me, people. <laughs> it was not you. Okay. Make sure that's but, clear. Uh, I remember, um, and I wasn't even in there for like a procedure. I don't even think there was an examination. I was just like between insurances and I needed to refill my meds that I take every day. And I just, I needed to see someone in a hurry. And this guy was who was available. And I remember him being really condescending and cutting me off a lot, like mid-sentence a lot, which is a behavior that I've found in a few doctors actually is just like this move of thinking they know what I'm going to say before I say it and like thinking they've seen it all. And so I, I couldn't possibly have any sentences of my own that I might want to add to a conversation about my treatment, just this, this condescending vibe. And it's, you know, as, as I say, of course, it's not every single doctor in the world. I'm sure there are, you know, for every guy like that, there's probably 10 gastroenterologists who know how to talk to a person and have a human conversation. But it's, it's such a high stakes setting when you're talking about your body and your medical needs that it takes very little to sour people, I think. Yeah, that's an interesting, I mean... It's a topic that I could talk about for a long time. And I could talk about from both sides, to be honest, but you are correct in that they've done studies where they looked at doctors and they looked at the way they, how long we talk to patients. And they would did, they did these modeling studies where they would have a doctor talking to a patient and they would talk to the doctor and they say, how long do you think that patient was speaking before you said something? And the doctors would always be like, oh, two minutes. And they're like, actually it was like 30 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds right. So, I mean, the truth of it is, we, for the most part, you know, you do this job long enough, you do see a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. You know, you, you get to a point where you do kind of start to pick things apart pretty quickly. But I mean, that's not the, it, you, A, shouldn't ever feel that way as a patient. You shouldn't feel that way. And B, 
you know, there are times when that's just not going to be the case when there are, right. there is a curveball, um, And those are the rare situations to be honest, but they're the ones that, you know, you have to be on your toes for it's, it's hard. And also, I mean, and I'm not going to go into a big defense of doctors, but there's also a lot of these time limitations, like where a doctor. Yeah, I've heard like, that about like insurance on y'all's end, like insurance wants you to have as short of appointments as possible with as many people in a row as possible. And, yeah. you know, again, the privatization of medical care, like that shouldn't be the case. I, I also find yeah, the hard. I... Sorry, wait. Sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that assessment and, 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 um, from a medical training standpoint, I think there is it's there's become a de-emphasis on on establishing rapport with patients. I mean, I think a lot of times it's like we get they're like, okay, well, this is evidence based. This is the algorithm you're supposed to follow. This is the line of questioning you're supposed to follow. And so, all lost in that is sort of establishing some a commonality with the patient and like kind of getting to the real story. Yeah, because I think that. Uh... Pretty much every patient thinks they have like an especially difficult case. Like if, if a patient is coming to a doctor with a problem as opposed to in like a checking up setting or preventative yeah. care setting, any patient who has a problem thinks that their problem is the most special problem that nobody has ever seen before. They're scared, you know, and yeah, they, sure. right. anytime you have a medical problem, there's always the worry in the back of your head that this is the thing that's going to kill you probably. And you know, you, you just don't know that that's not the case with any certainty until a doctor tells you what is actually wrong with you. And it's supposed to be, I think, a little bit comforting. Like even a scary diagnosis is typically less scary than just worrying about it and putting off doctor's appointments because you are scared of what's going to happen and, and yeah. that kind of thing. But like to speak to it <clears throat> That, that issue of bedside manner from the other side, I've also had really bad doctors, like uh, really bad medically, mm. who were so pleasant and like just <laughs> nice and listened to me. Yeah. That I kept going to see them for a long time. I had a doctor like make me do the whole 30 diet, which just has no basis in medical reality. Mm. And I just happened to like her and she was really nice to me. So I went back to her a bunch of times like, hey, this diet that you made me do, I'm hungry all the time and nothing is getting better and I hate it. <laughs> like, that was that was just what was happening medically. Like it was very yeah. stupid, but I liked her. So I kept going. It's, it's a human relationship too. Yeah. This is why I'm unlikable. It makes me a better <laughs> doctor. Uh, you know, honestly, it, it's a good reminder to us. Um, it, it's always good for us to hear this. And this is one of the things I love about the show. And when we have people on who aren't doctors is that we get the chance to really like talk to them, you know? Um, but at the same time, you're a really good storyteller. So I am a little surprised that this doctor would have like, <laughs> he would, I'm surprised he wasn't just like, go on. And then yeah. what happened? And then what, what's going on? I'd be like, I would love to have you as a patient. I would be like, you got to book her for two appointments. I got to hear the story of what happened with her. <laughs> I'm friend. a really good patient, I think. Yeah. Like, I I feel like it's probably annoying for you guys when, you know, patients are a little too WebMD about stuff. But I do know, like, more than nothing about the conditions that I have. Yeah. And I feel like I'm generally trying to be collaborative. And so, and I think that's the case for yeah most people like they don't want to not get treated for whatever problem they have. They want to participate in their treatment to a degree that makes sense. And so it becomes difficult and frustrating when like, yeah. it feels like doctors are not listening to us and it feels like they're recommending things that we're really sure aren't going to work. Like stuff like the whole 30 diet, like no right. basis in medical reality, but it was being given to me I, by a doctor so i was like well she, she has the md i don't know i have never prescribed that so probably don't it's very <laughs> <I> dumb <laughs> not not on my uh to-do list um okay i i have one more question for you uh and it, you know in your book like i mentioned you you talk about a lot of different things not just pop culture necessarily but you also about relationships and this is the stuff that always interests me about writers. Like when you write that sort of stuff about pretty intimate details about uh, being with a man who is married, about being in uh, relationships with uh, friends where it's not quite heterosexual and you're like crossing some boundaries there. Like when you do that sort of, when you write about these things, are you A, 
changing names? Are you clearing it with people? How does that work? Like that, this is, I guess, more of a nuts and bolts question about writing. No, I, I'm happy to answer. It's like a very nuts and bolts answer that I have too. Uh, I change everyone's name all the time. Uh, even if I do talk to them in advance about including them in something I'm writing, which I do generally as a courtesy when I'm writing about someone I still have a relationship with, I'll give them a heads up. But also it's not really a rule of journalism or nonfiction writing that you have to get people's permission to write about them. Like you, you can just do it. And if absolutely necessary, they can sue you after. And to that end, I had to have a really long, uncomfortable phone call with the Penguin Random House lawyer mm -hmm. who went like chapter by chapter and was like, now in this chapter, you described taking drugs with such and such person. Is that name changed or are there recognizable details other than the name or stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, Went yeah. on for a really long time, very uncomfortable conversation. Right. And I hope I never have to do it again. Did, did you have to, did you call, not that you had to, but did you call any anyone beforehand or communicate with anyone that's in the book beforehand to let them know? Uh, there's an essay in there about my, my childhood best friend, uh, childhood into the present, uh, mm -hmm. who I call Trixie mm -hmm. in the book. And I did, I, I didn't uh, clear it with her exactly. I, I gave her a heads, heads up. up. And yeah. like, if somebody were to vociferously object to being included in the book, then I'd I probably wouldn't include them unless they had really fucked me over. And that did happen. The, uh, that, well, I'm not going to say who it is, but somebody who I wrote about in that book unflatteringly did hear about it somehow and wrote me this like 10 paragraph email mm. being like, if you dare to publish this book with me in it and just on and on about all the stuff he was going to do. And of course mm -hmm. the book has been out for a month and none of that's happened. So, you know, whatever, but you know, that kind of yeah. stuff does happen and people don't love being written about warts and all. And that's, it's kind of like tough titty. I don't know. Like you're, yeah. if you exist in the world, it is possible that you'll be written about. And the only way anyone's going to know it's you is if you admit Say. to it because yeah, yeah. Right they on. didn't name you. <laughs> right, right, right on, right on. So Wei, if you ever read my upcoming book and you see the character Ray, Ray <laughs> Wu yeah. in it, it has Horrible. nothing to do with you. It's not going to do because you're, you're, I love you, buddy. Anyways, so um, Rax, thank you so much. Uh, won't take any more of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is super fun for us. Like yeah, I said, it was fun for me too. This was a Again, it's a pleasant departure from surprisingly communism. fun, right? Everyone's always a little surprised when they come on our show and have fun. It's always like a little <laughs> bit like this is not as bad as I expected. It, it was a lot more fun than I've ever had with two doctors in the same room as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, not that your podcast or your book needs any help from our little show, but um, tell people where they can find both you uh, on Twitter and where they can get this book, which we really do both recommend. Sure. Uh, you can find me on all social media at the handle Rex King is dead. Uh, you can find my book tacky in some bookstores, kind of a lot of bookstores. Actually, I keep being surprised by how many mm -hmm. bookstores and uh, you can listen to my podcast. If you don't know how to read, it's called low culture boil <laughs> And it's very similar to my book. My co-hosts and I, we every week we talk about a different overlooked aspect of trash culture. So it's a really fun podcast, fun book. And uh, yeah, come find me. Right on. Thank you so much. Hey, Wei, thank you again for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks man. for having me. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Express. Motherfucker. Thanks, Luke. Chicken tenders in a chocolate milkshake seems like the <laughs> most racks king. It's almost too perfect. I know, it's I, like very on the nose. Like yeah, I scheduled that phone call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is bullshit. Like in reality, it's like fucking. What's it called? What's that with the, the, the super fancy lobster troubadour or whatever? It's, what's that called? Lobster. That fancy thermidor. Thermidor. It's like yeah. lobster thermidor. I don't even really know what that is. <laughs> See, I didn't know what it is either, but you knew the name. That was a test. <laughs> yeah. You showed me that you knew it. So it's all bullshit. <laughs> this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.